Welcome, welcome to another... The official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. Do you hear that, Ern? The Leaky Cauldron. Just go. You're wasting time. Welcome to Pottercast, your number one source for news, theories, discussion and interviews with people from the Potter books and films. I know a small amount myself having written the books. My name is J.K. Rowling. I am now happy to introduce your hosts, Melissa, John and Sue. Welcome guys, Pottercast 169 here. 169. Yay, nice. Pottercast uh, 169. Mm. I'm Melissa, I'm here with John, Sue and Frack and we have a really interesting show for you this week. We have a, what is it, a bit by bit? Yes. Yeah, have a bad. bit by a bit and an in the know. No, it's not an in the know. It's an in the know. Come on. It is. I don't know what it is, but it's just an interview. They didn't say extendable ears at any rate. Not extendable ears. It's just an interview. Sue has to interview me here on podcast, and so the first part of our interview is on this week's show. Yay! It's awesome. It's so, Sue, so weird to interview by you. Two part, two part interview with you guys. We've got half this week and half next week, and then after that, uh, first part of uh, Frankie interviewing me. Uh, full air. I see. And what book have you written, John? Yes, this uh, is when I want to know. It's not about a book. I can do other things. Oh, it's about how many jumping jacks you can do on a Thursday afternoon at four p.m. Actually, no. I I'm actually writing an instructional about cat training, and I had Muchka to assist me <laughs> with this project. You leave her alone. She's shopping her claws waiting to see you, Buster. I, I, oh, it's, it's thankless work. It's so funny. On Amazon or somewhere, it says, um, and Melissa lives in New York with her ferocious cat, Moochka. <laughs> yes. it, says. it says it in the book. Yeah, it's ferocious. Yes. Funny. I, thought, I thought of a fun Halloween costume for her. You should just dip her in animal blood, and uh, it'll look like she was uh, like hunting. <laughs> Horrible. Okay, can we move on to this week's news, please? Better luck mauling my cat. Thank you. Someone else. Okay, well, let's see. This news, um, we do have a bit of, like, charity news. Um, two actors from the Harry Potter films have con- contributed. Well, I'm not sure what both of them have contributed, but one of them has contributed to a, uh organization that is near and dear to us at Leaky called Book Aid International. And they're having a charity <laughs> auction to raise money for the work that they do in um, Africa. And Alan Rickman has donated something which we don't know yet. And Robbie Coltrane donated um, an old copy of Huckleberry Finn. Oh, and he wrote cool. a note. Yeah. And cool. I thought that was really pretty cool. Good idea. You know? Yeah. I, I, I It just gives me a thrill that, you know... And not that that actors do charity, but people like um, Mr. Coltrane, and especially Alan Rickman, who are I just have high regard for, continuing to do so much charity work. But they do these kind of literary things, literary charity things, and I just think it's squeeful. Yay! <laughs> and plus, what, wasn't it last week that we were just talking, Frankie? I think you even said too about uh, for Band Book Week. Wasn't Huckleberry Finn on one of the Band Books? We were I, you were talking to me about it, but I wasn't aware of that. No, oh. I was <laughs> okay. shocked. Like Huckleberry Finn. Oh. That was it. Okay. Um, um, okay. And moving along, um, Tom Felton, John, your favorite jumper, tree jumper guy. Um, yeah. Favorite uh, fisherman. That's right. Hey, he's not just Is fishing. It? He's going to be, um, we had talked he's before not. about him. No, we, we had talked before about him being on the um, a UK television show called um, Celebrity Junkie, Jack, Jack Osborne's Celebrity Adrenaline Junkie show. But now we have a preview of it. And nice. It's, yeah. And he, uh, Get this, he came face-to-face with a 700-foot bungee jump from a bridge, 
And he came. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, and then he was uh, swimming with a twenty-foot great white shark, which is what? Wait, what? Just, was he in a cage? I don't know. I don't know. Was he He's like having... in a in a cage or something? Or well, I, I'm I'm assuming there was some sort of protection. I haven't seen the footage. It doesn't air until next month, but that just kind of freaked That's me out insane. a little bit. That's oh. insane. Was it ill-tempered? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we don't know if we did the bubblehead charm or anything like that, John. I don't know. Was it? It was really crumb, but uh, he finally got the transfiguration proper. Okay. No, all the oh, way. Oh, so funny. Oh, but it was Harry awesome Potter said, high end. I love it, though, Frankie. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, cool. And it's, it is cool, John. And he also does um, a stunt glider, which is said the producer said that Tom had to go at flying a stunt glider. Which is- hey, well, he just had too much fun, I guess. That's, That's really cool. But like you guys were saying last week, I think it's pretty interesting that, like, I don't know, that they let him do these activities, seeing the fact that, you know, he could very much hurt himself. Yeah, surely, for sure. Then we'd have to have like a little CGI Tom Felton for the rest of the movies. <laughs> CGI look Draco. Like Dobby. Yeah. Like yes, what Harry exactly the like that. Like, well, yeah. In the, in the first movie. Ten years later yeah. or whatever. Do you know I was playing the video game this week? Yeah, yeah. And for five, and I just, I kind of missed the first one. I kind of missed Aww. the old stuff. Anyway, I'm sorry. Hey, Melissa, I have a question for you. You you mm-hmm. went parasailing. Let me ask you this, Melissa. You went parasailing, right? So would you ever do any mm-hmm. of these things that uh, Fulton's doing? Would you ever do that? Oh, I think that's so different. Well, I think that I would love one day to skydive. Wow. See, I, I was going to ask my... you guys, what do you think is scarier, bungee jumping or skydiving? Oh, my gosh, bungee jumping. Bungee yeah, me too. Bungee yeah, no doubt there. Because on at one point in my life, I want to try skydiving, and it's going to be a point where I'm going to have to tell them I'm signing a waiver. When I get up there, you have every right to push me out because I'm going to flip out and not want to jump. But I'm giving you the legal right to eject me from that plane because I want. And I know push once I the plane, do the free fall, I think it'd be an amazing sensation, like you're floating or you know flying. But bungee jumping is just nerve wracking because right when you think it's over, uh uh-uh, oh, wow, back up to the top. <laughs> No thanks. Yeah. I yeah, think the four of us should skydive. <gasps> we should skydive together. <laughs> oh my god, we should. A podcast from the skies. Well, that would be the first podcasting <laughs> no. ever from falling from the sky. We could mic everybody okay, and we could hit record <laughs> and we could podcast on the way down. No! And so the audio quality is going to be fantastic <laughs> on that. Yes. That would be awesome. So here's what... <laughs> <laughs> that would be perfect, oh. and then we'll we'll get we'll get Audible to fly a, like an ad behind the plane, and uh, it'll be just like the best podcasting event ever. Oh my god! Oh, there you go. I- yeah, if you're in New York or San Francisco or Boston. Any places we know will end up here in the next few months or next year. We did go from hot air balloon people. That's what we could do. I would oh, do that. Oh, I would balloon. totally do That's that. So that would magical. be so much fun. Wait, to jump out of a hot air balloon? No, no. to stand no, in it. Just, oh, just to well, be this in the hot air balloon. That's exciting compared to the skydiving. So there might be a chance of them actually hearing us that way. The prospect of imminent death. We could podcast from a hot air balloon. We could. I'd feel like, you know, the Wizard of Oz flying up there. That'd be fun. Flying up in a hot air balloon. I love that. Well, they're in Michigan, too. Yeah. That'd be cool. Let's do it. And Camarillo, California. Yeah. 
I'm all for it. All right. All right. Since we are nowhere oh. near a galaxy of Harry Potter stuff, can we get back on topic? Yeah. Speaking of, 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 of Harry Potter stuff, we heard a new interview from our friend Chris Rankin. Yes. Oh, our good pal. Yeah. Um, he said he gave a new interview when he was at some convention in Rincon Convention in Germany. And um, he said he talked a little bit about Percy in Deathly Hallows. And um, he said he doesn't know yet if he's going to be back for the movies. But um, he thought it was. Aww. Yeah. Well, we can always hope. I don't, I don't know. Surely he will be. I want to see him transcend. Yeah, he was in five just as a face. Yeah, they'll have him for number seven and part two. I, I would certainly hope so. I mean, I think that would be cool. Yeah, he wouldn't be in part one. He'd be in part two. Yeah, they don't need Or maybe he would just to set up set up the reveal because it's been a while, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's true. That That's a good point. Yeah, set up the whole, like, Percy's not talking to us. Yeah, but, I mean, he has mm. to be there for the, I mean, I, they're obviously, I, I mean, they have to have the death of, of Fred, you know? I mean, they can't. I heard that they're going to cut that because it's too sad for the kids. No. No. John. No. Yeah. Just, just, just no. <laughs> Please don't. I'm just gonna have him scrape his scrape his knee or something and call. Fredo. I had to crack Tom. up though when because uh, Chris said that um he said they might actually give him a wand if he did the seventh bone because he hasn't had a wand. I guess I don't know. Oh, you think everybody be able to keep their wands after seven? That'd be so, so cool. That would be awesome. That'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. Anyway. Well, dang, I had the guy to keep the Gryffindor sword for a while, and but now I'll need it back. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> Wait, what? Remember, Dan got to keep the Gryffindor sword. Oh, Dan! Oh, I thought he said that guy, guy. and I'm like, sword. okay. <laughs> what guy? I think it was exactly. Anywho. The maintenance man on the set. I was going to use that teeny little sword to call people's head. I don't know. All right. Here's kind of a new, kind of an interesting thing. Um, we heard another interview from um, actor Ray Fiennes, and he was reflecting about how that he hesitated a bit about taking on the part of Voldemort. And he said that he went and he thought about working out a um, crude psychology into determining Voldemort's background, which I thought was really interesting because I guess at the point when he was debating on the part before Goblet of Fire that maybe he hadn't, well, I don't even know if, if Hapla Prince was even out at that point, but it was kind of interesting to me that this actor put such um, thought into his part. And, and then he said, and I want to read this quote because this was interesting. He said that he worked out that um, Harry was loved by his parents, which Voldemort can't stand. And Voldemort is, of course, a rejected person. It's quite basic. The rejected child who's emotionally been denied affection turns violent. You have to suggest there's more there, a life, a spirit, a mind. It isn't just a creepy voice and makeup. I always think you can find something more. Isn't that neat? actually rejected or was it that his mother is rejected? Because he he didn't have people to reject him. He just didn't have a people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but from his point of view, he feels rejected. It's not like, you know, that's it. in this matter it's so. just Across his society. perception that matters because he's dropped off at an orphanage and his dad did reject him. His dad didn't want him because well, his dad, you know, he was a mogul. He's like, I don't want a witch or whatever. Well, right, his dad. Well, do you You're think right, he even had a chance to know that? Because Dumbledore and Harry only find out from other memories, you know? No, I'm just saying, from his he perception, I think he's, because he's at, yeah. at an orphanage and like... He found that out. I mean, he he wasn't all the way to evil when he found that out, so it probably helped. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's interesting. And I, that's that's cool for just, I guess, the actor's point of well, view. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? Big, big, huge thumbs up to Ralph for yeah, that. Rafe. For, I know, 
rape for um, <laughs> you know actually giving a darn to, to think about it that way and not just mm-hmm. look at cute cards on set. Yes. Yeah. Huge yeah. thumbs up to you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Here, here, John. I agree. Voldemort for president. Well, <laughs> no. That's terrible. No, but I just think that was just excellent. I, you know, I'd be curious though to hear what his. You know, hopefully he'll be able to really. You know, detail some of the conversations he had later on with Joe about the about Voldemort and stuff. But I just thought that was awesome. So, yeah. squeeze. Yeah, I would love to hear what what they said to each other about that. Would that be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Our number one news of the week, and, and this is, has to do with number one actually. Um, Amazon UK celebrated ten years of book selling, and guess what was their number one best ever selling book? Guess what it was? What? Beetle on the bar. Let me think. <laughs> No, not Beetle the Bard. It's 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 Harry Potter and Half Blood Prince. Surprisingly, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's had three years to saturate the marketplace. Stephen Hollows has only had one. You know, yeah. so I think that's and that's like right after the big peak. The big peak was the big explosion was after four. Then five came and it was kind of a drearier book. So people, you know, here's left. my question. Here's my question. Does Scholastic and Bloomsbury count the sales of the individual books in addition to the sales that they sell as a set for the same Say number? That again. Okay. Half Blood Prince. They make they sell all these Half Blood Princes. Do they count all the Half Blood Princes they sell in the giant sets? Well, when we they sold that, so I don't think is it, it's the whole set of them together. So I don't know if they incorporate that in the overall. I mean, they can because honestly, since it's a whole set, it just evens the playing ground. It kind of cancels each other out, right? Because if it, well, I mean, oh, I against see. each other, but as far as like a book in general against other books, I think that yeah. would probably count as one item a set. You know, mm. I think. That's I a good know. question. I don't know. That's, That's a good question, question for <laughs> a hot editor. Yes, it would. Um, and just on a related note, that um, Amazon said that their number one best-selling DVD was actually Prisoner of Azkaban. I can see that though, because yeah. that's the, a lot of people. That's their favorite movie. Well, that's a good movie. Oh yeah, it's, but a lot of people, it's their least favorite as well. Yeah. Who's least favorite? A lot of people's least favorite was three. What was three? Five? No, no, three. Because a lot of whoever many people oh, love three. Oh, I see. I thought you said five. I'm sorry. Well, I can I can attest to that. I didn't like three for the longest time because it was such. I was used to the Christopher Columbus's version, just the very childlike atmosphere, and it was just like I really liked the old production design. It was just real more quaint than it was dark. <laughs> well, I was annoyed when I finally went and bought myself a broad stripe tie, and then like a month later, Azkaban came out, and I'm like, dang it! Now I have to go get another one. No, I'm a purist. They better not change it again, or I'll they'll be hearing from me. <laughs> How many ties oh, do you want us to buy? <laughs> What's so weird infection of your But butt? you look fine oh with gosh. that big tie around your head as Hufflepuff colors, John Noe. Just saying. Uh, anything in Hufflepuff colors would make your approval, Susie. <laughs> I know. It was awesome. <laughs> Did any of those photos ever turn up online for any of the Pottercast fans to I, I put it on Pottercast.com. That's right, you did, of course. <laughs> like, I would resist that. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> And speaking of podcast.com, oh, everyone go to, go watch every week after and see Frankie's doodles that he draws. They're so many. Oh, Frankie doodles. Speaking of Frankie, everybody asks, why don't you make that your album art? And I'm looking into it, but the only thing is that when you change your album art on the listing on iTunes for all the weeks that were in the top 10, like we always are, the album art you'll see is 
I think like they pulled that from the album art you put on the show. Like I'm not positive on this. There might be a way to make like your podcast album art always for iTunes sake um, the same thing. I don't know. I think there might also be ways to add more than one album art to an MP3 file. So long and the short of it is maybe. But it, but the doodles don't always come out before the shows do. So then that wouldn't work no. either. Yeah. No. So. So that's tricky. They're so wonderful. It is very I tricky. I love them. Frankie, we're going to make you do it quicker. I can. <laughs> oh. okay. That's all I got. All right, well, guys. they were off a while ago just because we were all going crazy. Yeah, for sure. Because it'd be fun to look at Frankie Doodles on your iPod. Oh, yeah, it would. <laughs> cool. Okay, that's all I got. Okay. Anyway. What the news? Well, that's it for that's it for this week's news. Mm-hmm. What do we is have that is the end of the news? Mm-hmm. It is the end of the news. Bit by bit for Chapter 14 coming, and then we also have um, my series interview, and we will see you back in the in the show. In the news. And we're back to Bit by Bit, where we actually are back to a bit of Deathly Hallows. Oh, I haven't done this in so long. I know. Oh. Hold, we're only up to chapter 14 of Deathly Hallows. It's been a year and a couple of months. Come on, boo. We need to go faster. This is crazy. Boo, podcasters. <laughs> what is this? Freaking Phoenix Files? <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> okay, so we opened this chapter. It's called The Thief, chapter 14. And uh, we had just finished apparating into the forest of Dean uh, that uh, Hermione brings him into, and uh, chaos, because uh, well, you bring him into the, chaos. Well, it's chaos. There's for no poor chaos, Ron. none at all. There's no chaos whatsoever. Ron's unconscious, and they have just appeared in an empty forest. Where's the chaos? Chaos for, okay. for Ron. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. They left the chaos this. right when they yes, escaped they the ministry, the and they were escaping Grimmauld Place. Their their secrecy they, had been they have exposed. Left the and, chaos. And they're, they're yeah, free. they're leaving the ministry. And when they apparate, Hermione tries to shake off one of the, the ministry workers. She can't do it. And so he apparates alongside them onto the stoop of Grimwall Place. Then she quickly reprimand, like she quickly, you know, takes action by kicking him off, leaving, leaving him on the stoop, therefore bringing him inside the Fidelius charm, showing them the secret keeping, like the, the, the secret keepers. Now they know the secret yeah. of the location of Grimwall Place. Right. But the first so she thing- quickly. The first thing that we've discovered in the chapter is that Ron's been splinched. Yeah. Which is yeah, not all funny. Yeah, this is because, like we thought it was. because she kind of apparates quickly and she kind of splinches Ron. It's so funny. she feels responsible for that, right? What's funny to hear is Harry talking about splinching the same way that we kind of think about it. it thinks it's kind of comical. You leave a leg behind. Ha ha. It's like a cartoon. But then he looks at Ron and there's a big chunk out of his arm. Yeah. I don't know why I never thought, considered the fact that splinching wouldn't be painful. That you just have, like, a head in one half of the world being like, oh, no, where's my body? LOL. But you'd be dead. Yeah, they make it comical in Half-Blood Prince when they're learning because, you know, what's-her-face leaves her behind, but then, like, in a puff of purple smoke, they're, like, right on top of that. That's probably one of the major reasons they have to, like, do these apparition lessons, you know, in such controlled quarters, like... Imagine they just lifted the apparition, the no apparition charm in Hogwarts, just in the Great Hall. So that probably prevents them from going anywhere else, you know. And so, like, that makes a lot more sense now. Cause they used to bug me that, like, the yeah. fact that you know, why lift the charm if it's such a big deal not to have that charm there? But that was probably a control factor because 
if they could operate anywhere, how are you supposed to put these kids back together? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it is pretty, it is amusing how we never consider how serious it is. Yeah, it's totally dangerous. It's a weird thing to joke about. It's similar to to driving, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Everybody jokes, you know, we're going to get into get into an accident, whatever. But a lot of people die because they're not very yeah. good at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and then, you know, then Hermione realizes that, you know, something's bad. And this is what really interests me. And it's not so much what was written, but you know how they don't let doctors operate on their family and the people that they love? Yeah. They don't? No. Well, Why you're not, not supposed to. Well, it's a conflict. You can't. Yeah. So but what if, like, there was an accident at the house and, like, the well, doctor or dad was the only one there? I would well, imagine that. Well, it's, you know, circumstances. <laughs> yeah. But Typically. when there's a choice. Yeah. Yeah. But I I just thought, you know, here's Hermione and says she doesn't, she knows about the essence of Dittany, but, you know, she doesn't do it. And I know it's that she doesn't know. Maybe she doesn't know it in her brain. But it just seemed to me that her emotions were kind of overtaking her brain at this point. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That's how I felt. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. Because remember, she said you know? she she's familiar with some of the the healing charms, but she just doesn't know them in theory well enough to try to risk taking it. You know, using it on Ron, which is interesting. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, she knows her limits. Well, true. But I just thought, I, for me, maybe it's because I, I, I love Ron and Hermione, and I just understood her, what it would be like, this is someone she cares for, and even though she hasn't really, I guess she had submitted it to herself, I don't know, but at this point, yeah. she's like, ah, oh, panic, you know? I don't know. Just uh, For me, that was really a poignant little moment, that's how I felt. Yeah. But then, we had the Akio. Is that how you say it? Akio? I guess. Akio. That's how they do it in the movie. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Akio. 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 Akio Dittany. Akio. Acho, Achu. Essence of Dittany, which is what she used with pickled Mertlap or whatever to heal yeah. Harry's hand or help Harry's hand. Which oh, is right, interesting because w- right? the, the solution she uses in, you know, Order of the Phoenix, Harry still has the scars. It's still there. How does she expect to replace a chunk of his shoulder yeah. with <laughs> Essence of Dittany? That's true. Maybe the nature of that quill prevents that. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. maybe like that's possible. I'm, I'm just, I'm, re- I'm making a, a backwards, you know, reasoning for it. No, it's right. but you know, maybe that's part of the. I know, you know. It just seems a little. But yeah, it's a very good point. Whole chunk, whole chunk of his. Ah, I wonder how far it went. Like, oh, okay, I don't want to know. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. So then Hermione's talking about the actually getting inside the Fidelia's charm. Well, now, what do you guys? This can conf- I have to tell you this Fidelia's stuff? It always takes me a minute. I have to sit. And think about it and see where she's going. Because Dumbledore dies, therefore everybody who'd seen it or who'd been inside it in the protection of Fidelius became a secret keeper. What happens if you never show the secret to somebody and your secret keeper dies? Aren't you stuck? Um, what do you mean? She says the secret would die with the secret keeper if the secret keeper were, were to die before letting the secret out. Okay, it, I guess- then I'd argue what would be the difference then if it's already... Well, what if I'm James James or Lily Potter and I'm under protection and it really and say say the secret keeper was Sirius Black and he dies. Now we're stuck in under the Fidelia's protection. The secret has died with him and nobody will ever see us again. Well, isn't it it was their house no. that was under the charm, not them personally. No, them hi- the, the act of them hiding. They said Voldemort could have been at their door and, and on, at their window and not seen them unless unless he was told the secret. 
Uh, see, I thought it was the house that was under the charm. I didn't think you could put actual people. I thought it was like locations. I think it, I mean, I think it was, but it hides the people inside it. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, there has to be limits to that because then somebody could have a, a Fidelis charm that says, nobody knows where Voldemort is. And then they die, and then no one can ever see Voldemort again. No, that's like, not, it's not like, no, it's not like granting a wish. You can't say, you can't just pretend something's true. You can't say, nobody knows where Voldemort is. No, no, I know. You have to be the only person. You have to have the secret. If you don't have the secret, you can't do Fidelius. No, it's like, it's like having Voldemort put, have one of his Death Eaters put him under the Fidelius charm, and then he'd kill that Death Eater without anybody telling the secret to protect himself. Right. Yeah, I so could then see no one how would that ever would find be. him again. Well, then there there immediately became the question of why why didn't he do exactly that with the Horcruxes? Yeah, I know what you mean. Because there well, would have been no plot. But then that's trust. But then I like didn't wasn't there some sort of um, thing about how Voldemort doesn't trust anybody enough to you? Right. But if he's going to kill them. Yeah, but his but his ego. I for me, he's such an egomaniac. I I don't think he he would just like to keep that to himself. It would just be such an. I mean, I don't. I mean, a lot of things about the way he held this, he uh, hid the Horcruxes, like seemed to be setting up for somebody to be able to find them, even if it wasn't just him. Somebody qualified would be able to find them. That's what never made any sense. Is like, why? Why would he want to create a circumstance where somebody could find? The Horcruxes. Dumbledore said something about that he would, there, that there being like a part of him that wants to tempt somebody to find it so that he can find out how they knew, how they got there, like wants to boast his his brilliance to somebody. His yeah, that makes sense. It's like somebody. painting a, somebody. it's like painting something or writing a song and not letting anybody listen to it or hear it. You could say all you want, but there's a part of you, because he like, his magic is an art form to him because he's pretty talented at it. It's creepy and horrible yeah. as he was. You know, it's a, it's his masterpiece. So there's probably a quiet part of him that's like, I wish somebody, you know, someone who's yeah. worthy, that is, could mm. to right. see it. Yeah. So like, just that ego creeping in there, I can see that. Because, I mean, there's magic like the snitch. No one can open up the snitch but, like, one person, the person that's touched it first. So certainly you can charm, like, a, a chest to only open for one person, and that person could be Voldemort, and then no one could ever get in that chest but him. It's like you can do simple, similar charms to ones that we know and avoid so much of this grief. Yeah, a lot of it, though, we don't know the nature of the, the snitch stuff, because that could be worked into the, the, the gold that it is, and maybe it's that certain type of gold with a certain type of charm. That... Well, it's, it's wizard-made, though, and it's certainly another wizard could make something else, like a giant snitch. I don't know. I mean, it all goes back to more, what's a more interesting story, but I don't know. I don't like how you can bring somebody in through operation like that. I don't know how you can do it by accident. You have to tell them the secret. I mean, I guess I guess Hermione's standing at the door of Grimald Place, but Dumbledore specifically had to write it down. Yeah. Well, I think the difference is because Hermione made a comment that she brought him within the Fidelius charm. Yeah, he was holding on to her. By so, like, they were she, within yeah. the the pro- the proximity of that charm. You know what I mean? I guess if Dumbledore had shown Harry Grimaud place in book five, he could have just been standing with him. Yeah. But he had to write it down for Harry. Yeah, because yeah. that's a good point. Because since he wasn't there, he had to write it down. Yeah, because he's a secret keeper. Nobody else with him could tell him where it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Prospect. Only Dumbledore can be the one to tell But people. then again, that doesn't make Yaxley a secret keeper. That just makes him know where it's at. So he can't bring anybody in. He's there by himself. Exactly. Yeah. 
No. He, he wasn't in on the secret at the time that the secret keeper died. So, yeah. No, so, because... Because the secret... Once Dumbledore died, the, the role of the secret keeper was transferred to all everybody who knew. So now... At that moment. At that moment. So now Yaxley is like what they were in book five. They knew where it was, but they can't, they can't tell anybody. Exactly. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. But now if Hermione died... No, no, no. Harry says even now he could be bringing other Death Eaters in there by apparition. So he could be bringing people in now. I think maybe uh, that's his misunderstanding of yeah. the, the spell. Well, then I think then it was a mistake putting it in the, putting it in the book. I mean, come on, you know, to make this matter more confusing, Harry didn't have to think that. If it, you know, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. See, but then they were, I guess, because why were they okay with Snape? Well, I guess maybe apparition is a loophole there. I don't know. Yeah, I, Harry, mean, if the, the, I think Harry got it wrong there. Yeah, I think he's Harry's totally wrong, isn't it? Why have a spell? Why then just hide the address until somebody finds out where they live? And oh, shoot, and then everybody can come over. I don't know that... Um, I just want to go back to one thing you said about Voldemort. I think that, personally, he wanted to keep it to himself, but I think it wasn't so much if he got caught... Or he wanted someone to find it to say, oh, how did you do it? I think he might want that challenge to see who is his equal. No, yeah. I mean, I think that his ego is so big that he thinks he's the best out of all of this. I mean, he's always taunting, you know, I've gone beyond where no other wizard has gone. Yeah. So. Yeah. And he does Maybe. say later, like when he's thinking, when he realizes that Harry's gotten there, no way that he could have, no way the boy could have. So like, yeah, that's the insult. It's not that someone got there. It's that Harry did. You know, like he, he figures out that Dumbledore does and isn't as in anger that Dumbledore figured it out because Dumbledore has a, has a superior mind. He's really angry that Harry got there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, on and ultimately it's his own ego and his own arrogance is his, his own downfall. So it's kind well, of. Well, that's what I love how Voldemort thing. really killed himself. But that's in a couple yeah, chapters. Pretty awesome. That's a <laughs> yes, couple. We're skipping ahead. <laughs> a year away at our pace. Okay. <laughs> For real. So. So Harry reaches into his bed and he's got Mad Eye's eye. Oh. One of the pieces of eight. Well, I'm glad and he did. Stupid Umbridge. Mm. Pieces yeah. of eight. It's Where from Captain uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates. Oh, that's he's right. Sort of, okay, sorry. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> he just ha- I just flashed into that image of you know the guy from the Rolling Stones showing up with the <laughs> walking up. Hey, Harry, here's the yeah. eye. <laughs> there you go. Right. Okay. Never mind. Sorry. He screws up the entire plan because he had to take Mad Eye's eye off the door. I know. It's kind of frustrating. It is. It's one of those things that looks like a regular eye. What are you asking me for? What'd you say? Like like a cartoon looking eye. It's a giant electric blue glass eye So that swirls around. So I don't think it's normal. Does it have like veins and things in it or is it just solid white? Most glass eyes have veins painted in them. Oh, disgusting. Okay. Yes, dude. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can look in the, the cauldron shop for the, to see the Warner Brothers version of the eye. Uh, I, think that I know what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> How do glass eyes move around in an eye socket? Like, what they causes don't. them to move? I don't think they do. Not very much. That's why they look like they have a lazy eye most of the time. Uh, right. All right, so I was interested in, her- in Hermione's enchantments here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The... The Latin that they use, the the muffliata, we know what that do, what that mm-hmm. does is muffles. So that's repello muggletum. Obviously, is repel muggles. <laughs> yeah. Protego totalum is protect. You know, it's protect a shield. Everything. Everywhere. It's a shield. Yeah, <laughs> it's like protego maxima. <laughs> it's salvio hexia. I'm not a hundred percent sure what that means, but salvio technically What's means in Latin. Salvio means. 
like a solvent or a solvent like a, a salve is like a um a boon like a like a salve like it heals um so like to heal or repel hexes or something yeah that's what i would imagine some sort of like to ward off minor hexes i would, I would think salvo means save um yeah, I'm just gonna say. I mean, maybe I just remember something from like high mass or something in Salvo. Can't remember. My Latin yeah, is horrible. Salvo, say, Salve mm-hmm. Maria, Please. save. You know, say that save again. Our hexes. I guess uh, maybe it's maybe it means to like bur- enchant further. Bur- uh, what you call? What's the word I'm looking for? Bolster what they're doing. Mm. Maybe the other mm. hexes. Well, makes I'm just surprised that it's so easy to make a a, a repel. Uh, uh, they repel the muggles. Yeah, <laughs> so away, muggles. One, one little thing. I mean, you think that you'd have to like create a perimeter and like burn animals and like burn animals, burn animals. Here. Well, some sort of sacrificial like craziness. Like, see, I imagine it's, that it's that, too easy. Well, I mean, that would work on a few, but if there was like you go in the middle of a like Disneyland and go repel muggledom, it's it, the charm's gonna break. You know what I mean? It Everybody can't, like. <laughs> People are it's like a few people are going to walk away before the charm just can't. You know, I would yeah. imagine it's it's relative to the like if a little kid runs up while they're sleeping in you know the forest of Dean, he's going to be like, I want to go drink punch now and run away. But if it was like a whole like school parade, yeah. I think it, would, it might wane under the pressure of all those muggles. Do you think I mean, it depends on the strength of the person casting the charm? Or how many people cast the charm at the same time? Because, like, yeah. I don't know, well, this is at- obviously video game logic, but, like, when the trio cast the same spell on a boulder, like, the, no, but the, look at uh, the- when Guardian Liviosa went higher, because all three of them were doing it. Well, yeah, but look at um, book three. They all expel the Snape at the same time. It knocks them out. That's true. So, you know, that obviously that plays a part. And I think the, yeah. the more you understand a spell, the more efficient it is, so... Because look yeah. at Hermione in the books when she's learning. She she gets the spells real quick. So, like, so essentially on that logic, if Seamus brought, like, all of his classmates out to the Great Lake or whatever and tried that water into rum spell, they have, like, parties all weekend because it would work on the whole lake, essentially, if the spell was functional. Maybe if all of Hogsmeade and Hogwarts and the Ministry and the Wittishing World, maybe. Hmm. <laughs> Could perhaps. If Dalvish helped. I doubt it. Dollish, <laughs> like, hey, you want an alcoholic lake? Here you go. Soup. <laughs> See, he's a party boy. I love him. He can be welcome in our house anytime. There you go. Dollish is All a right. frat boy. <laughs> All right. Sorry. So Ron starts insisting that they don't say the name out loud. Yeah. Very good move. So it's it's so cool. I really the whole like I said before the whole taboo story device is so amazing. It validates Ron's apprehension and the fact that he said, you know, have some respect. And I, I, I really like the fact when Ron said that. And it's not like respect in a honoring way, but just one of those things that like, dude, he's pretty powerful. You know, what, look what he's done so far. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Does that come off weird? Well, I think Ron is just feeling the effect of the Horcrux more because he's vulnerable to it. I think because he's he's more emotional than Hermione. Harry's had more hurt experience with Voldemort's soul, like a lifetime of it. Ron is... Ron must still be freaking out. He's still just yeah. got a huge part of his shoulder gashed out of him. And he's got so many insecurities that this Horcrux is just... Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yes, he's been around a piece of Voldemort's soul for his entire life. He's been around Harry for his entire life, but now you've got now you've got the other Horcrux. Now you've got, like, two pieces of Voldemort's soul 
evil emanating out of that thing, and it's just it's mm-hmm. just really starting to wear on Ron's on Ron's See, emotions. Yeah. And I love that because, uh, and again, I should not say this, but I'm a big Tolkien fan. And when Frodo was carrying the ring, he was affected by the evilness of the power, and yet, and in Ron, it didn't affect him that way. I thought it made him much more, like Frankie alluded to, much more sensitive. You know, and why couldn't Frodo just put the ring in a book bag or something? Why <laughs> did he have to put it right near his heart? Because it's more dramatic that way. Well, you could literally I mean, much carry. more dramatic. Just like the same this, reason why you know. they carry the locket. Keep right. it close. Why do they have to wear the locket instead of carry it around like they do the? Uh, honestly, I know you could put it in like a steel or a lead case or something like That's Clark carries around bag. his kryptonite, and- <laughs> or you can make it make it miniature it's and kryptonite. sew it into your clothes or something. I don't know. You can do so many. Yeah. Why doesn't she? Why do they put it in Hermione's purse? Yeah. 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 Great. You can great transfigure it into a Twinkie and then eat it. <laughs> That's disgusting. They can't do the food, isn't Could that one you of the transfigure laws? Horcrux, I wonder. No, I don't think no. so. I'm, I'm or it would, it would manipulate the charm, and then you'd get some sort of like random, like it would grow legs and like. Oh, away. that'd be sweet. No. Wait, it's Winky with <laughs> legs? No, and fur. No, I was saying That's that. Be this week. Sorry. Since it's a piece of soul, it's conscience. I, I would, I think it'd be interesting if you did try to do some sort of legitimate magic on it to alter its form. It'd be cool if it could somehow manipulate that. I doubt it. There's no grounds for it, but it's just in my What if Harry, concern. like, turned a Horcrux into a port key to, like, Mars, and, like, he had, like, a, a house elf take it there? What? And sacrifice the house elf and that then the is, Horcruxes. You know, not, I'm not even going to go there. But then no one would ever find it. But that's bad, because that means Voldemort would never die. Because the vacuum of space is not a sure way to destroy a magical item, destroy an item beyond mm-hmm. magical repair. Do we right. know that? Well, uh, we don't. But we don't know. It's not a magical so. substance. It has to be a magical substance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Unless outer space is a magical substance, Ooh. and we just have to that. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I like so that. Harry wants to fling the locket from him, but Ron, Ron first feels, Ron is the one who says that it feels like a heartbeat. Yeah. That's creepy. How come Ron gets to feel that first? Why won't Harry? Why doesn't Harry feel that first? I think Harry's uh, too close to it, literally, because he has another piece of soul in him. So they're trying to, they're trying to, like that's probably distracting yeah. from him. Maybe he can't differentiate it. It's differentiated from his own, yeah, his own heartbeat. Yeah, you can't feel your own body temperature. You know what's so interesting is that Harry, Harry, um, while in his long thought during this chapter, he he thinks that the ticking of this Horcrux is sort of like the, the ticking in his chest how much time he had left and it so beautifully recalls later in the forest again when his heart this is the quote his felt his heart pounding fiercely in his chest how strange that in his dread of death it pumped all the harder valiantly keeping him alive it would have to stop and soon its beats were numbered it's just interesting how she did that so creepy it's creepy but very effective i thought i thought that was really i mean yeah it's just it's so interesting with the whole, and I really like how the the didn't it say that the locket never really it, was, it always stayed cold. Yeah, it's like what Water Boy's uh, special water, huh? and it's like marble, like like marble, marble. They say it's it's always cold because it's sucking heat from you. That's it. It absorbs it so fast that it sucks heat away from you, and it only feels cold because you're you're losing heat. And maybe that's the same thing is that it's sucking heat from whatever it's. Ooh. Well, yeah, but Voldemort's like it heart needs is energy, dead. Like it needs to consume. Like I don't think it heat. needs to, but I think it likes to. Yeah, that's a good distinction. I just think of it as like a symbolic of Voldemort's dead heart, his dead soul. You know, everything in him is yeah. dead. Yeah. So I like that. 
Well, now that they're on watch, um, Harry goes on watch and tries to, um, does this, this one, he falls, does he doze off here? He dreams mm-hmm. about Grigorovich. He does. He starts thinking about, you know, he opens, I guess the presence of two Horcruxes is a powerful right. uh, yeah. catalyst do it. <laughs> and, or two pieces of soul. I should say one Horcrux. And, um, Ooh, good distinction, yeah, he, Melissa and Ellie. One Horcrux and mm. one anti-Horcrux. He's like the anti-Crux. Huh? Um, and yeah, he starts thinking about Grigorovich and he, and, and I wonder why, I wonder why, I guess Voldemort, I mean, is, Grigor, Grigor, is that where he is right then? Is he's just slipping his way into Voldemort's mind? Yeah. I, I would, that's what I always assumed that, you know, it's just kind of. It's creepy though. Is he inside Voldemort's mind or is he accessing the consciousness of the Horcrux inside of him? Huh. Oh, I thought that was Voldemort. I think, that, I... I think that's it. I always assumed that it was going inside closes. his mind because they refer to it as occlumency and legitimates, and that's when you enter someone's mind. But it's like the it's the connection, and then it's only the piece of soul that allows that connection. Well, yeah, After I think the soul Harry is comes the back, way he doesn't have that connection anymore. Yeah, because proximity, you have to, to use legitimacy. You have to uh, be in the presence of the person. So I think the soul is like kind of that bridge. Yeah. Well, but it's not even it's not even legitimacy or occlumency in the traditional sense. Yeah, it's actually. Being that person. That's true. Yeah, that's even more intimate than, like, being in their mind. It's being that person. It's not that you're there yeah. as a spectator. That's why, because Harry, all those times, experienced it doing that person. Like, he said he bit um, uh, yeah, Mr. He Weasley. Snake. You know what I mean? And so, like, it's not that he's watching it. It's he is that person. So that's that's yeah, that's pretty interesting. Voldemort. Wow, that's crazy. A version of Voldemort. So he can feel, see, and experience anything that happens for any other Voldemort. It's crazy. So anyway, so yeah, he slips into that state. Oh, this is, this where it gets complicated, right? Because this is, he's Voldemort using legitimates on, on, uh, Grigorovich, the wand maker. Yeah. And then when using legitimates, he sees how he lost the elder wand. And that's when you see the, um, Grindelwald as a young boy, with the golden curls, with the mischievous smile, look back before he jumps out the window and has stolen the wand. Yeah? That was very clever. It ties it into what we saw earlier in the book. You know, the yeah. handsome face. And then he kills Gravorovich. And then Hermione gets all mad at him because for having visions and not using occlumency and la-di-da. And then he's like, I was just dreaming. But who else thought of Lucifer when they thought of, when they saw Grindelwald for the first time? Oh, with the golden curls, and, yeah, yeah, the golden have, curls. And the I have thing. a very distinct visual of that. I need to draw that one day. Ooh, that's like, cool! I would cool. like to see that. Because his, like, honestly, it's one of the few parts in the book that it's very, very fleshed out for me. I mean, in my head, and like, it's not like a lot of times when I draw stuff from the books or from my own characters, I have about you know anywhere from forty to seventy percent in my head figured out and then when I'm drawing it changes and it evolves and it just becomes more tangible. But like that scene I really have a very vivid image of it. And it it, it does, it's very Lucifer in the, the biblical sense, in the sense that he's not this scary red man with horns and you know what I mean? He's a fallen angel. And he's enticing. Like one of the inter- inter- translations of serpent in Genesis is Sparkles. And so if you think about it like in that story huh. It's not the fact that it was this creepy snake hanging on a tree like, hey, come here. It was, you know, you could imagine like a shimmering reptile in the light. You know, it's it's very enticing. 
And that's it's interesting you bring that up. Hmm. Wow, Sorry. that's really cool. And then Harry goes to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and then Harry's like, <laughs> the chapter. <laughs> He's a boy. <laughs> well, I imagine that'd be tiring. Yeah, he goes to sleep. Yeah. Having to experience. But Ron is still insisting that nobody say the name. Ron is still insisting. Go, yeah. Ron, go. Seriously, go, Ron. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um. Yeah, that's the yeah. end. <laughs> yeah, and he goes to sleep. Well, this and is a very interesting chapter. Mm-hmm. Why? Um. Just. Uh. Well, seeing the vision of uh, of uh, Gregorovich and continuing with uh, this whole um, being curious about the the wands and and what's what's Voldemort looking for, and uh, you know them still focusing so much on. On uh, on Horcruxes at this point, not even considering Deathly Hollows. Well, it's it, it's interesting. Like they're focusing on Horcruxes when the Hollows right in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I just you know it was an okay chapter for me. I just was like I liked the part of the beginning and it's like okay, I wanted it to move on. <clears throat> I don't know. It's kind of like, a okay. kind of a home but dopey dope chapter. You know. Yeah. Well, you need that a, right after the chapter yeah, just happened. Absolutely. We need a downbeat. Well, that's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. So. Come down. But things turn exciting next week. Woo-hoo. Yes, things do get very exciting the next chapter. I'm excited. Chapter <laughs> I'm excited. 15. The Goblin's <laughs> Revenge. Mm-hmm. Yes, and where Ron leaves and it makes me so sad. Aww. Okay. <sighs> that's for next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> In the Fan Corner, a one-on-one interview with a new lucky fan each week. Not me, not Hermione, you. So, okay, everyone, here we are with, this is um, Sue Upton, and I'm interviewing a very special author. (laughs) Yes, an author. Not just my friend, not just my Pottercast co-host, but our own (laughs) Melissa Anelli. Wow, it's so strange to be on this side of it (laughs) on Pottercast. It's so awesome. You're an author, babe. (laughs) I'm smiling so wide right now. My cheeks are bright red. I'm glad this is not a video interview. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, Yeah, especially with all my hair all askew and just Oh, please, no. No, no, no. No. Yeah, there's nothing video ready about me right now either. (laughs) No, but I mean, this is a fabulous... By the time you're hearing this, um, the book will be just coming out in just a few short weeks. And um, and for those that do not know, um, Melissa has written a book called Harry, A History... The true story of a boy wizard, his fans, and life inside the Harry Potter phenomenon. Wow. Yeah. Yes. And Sue very, very graciously asked to, to interview me for Pottercast, which I thought was just so cool because it's never, I've never got kind of done so many interviews for Pottercast. I've never been interviewed on Pottercast. It's, you know. it's a really interesting twist. It's it's awesome though, and and uh, we'll come back to interviews because Melissa does a plethora of interviews, and we'll <laughs> talk about that later. But um, um, it's so cool because this is really a unique. I think we're in a unique position to talk more about this book. And but I really want to know for people at home are listening. Okay, here's somebody who's written a book. What what is the deal? Harry, a history, a history of who? Who? What, what is this about? Can you give us kind of in a nutshell what it is? No, no, I'm kidding. Okay, um, thanks, thanks. <laughs> no, the book, the book is about the entire. I mean, it, the the title is apt. It's a history of the phenomenon. It's what happened, what has happened in the world because of Harry Potter. 
it's set up the framework is from when when jk rowling announced the release of harry potter and the deathly hollows Mm -hmm. through the actual release of the book with a couple of weeks afterwards and it uses that that timeline to dip back into the history the 10 years the, the 17 years from the writing i'm sorry the 17 years from the writing till the publication of the last book it goes over all the stories you've heard some of the ones that you haven't different takes but it, what what's most important is that over this time that we have been experiencing this this together and we've all been reading the news for so many years and we've all been been hooked on into the phenomenon for so many years it finally puts it all in one place it puts everything um, that's happened. Obviously, not everything. There's, it's impossible to put everything, yeah. but it puts the, the milestones, the markers, into mm-hmm. one place. And it also, um, it's also part memoir. It it tells it tells my right your my history, story, right? Yeah, your, a little bit of your history. Um, we should back up and clarify that Melissa is um, also the webmistress of theleakycauldron.org. <laughs> um, she's also a journalist too. And um, so th- this this brings me to a good point about what this book the 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 whole overarching context of the book is the year basically uh, give or take a few months of the release mm-hmm. of the final book in the the seven part series Harry Potter series mm-hmm. um but yet you go through an amazing extraordinary these 17 years which which have been frankly extraordinary and yet if you look on the amazon thing it says there's 368 pages in your book melissa <laughs> I know. how what i mean i don't even know how you can begin to condense i mean what were you you looking for when you sat down you said okay i'm gonna write this book how am i gonna get all this in here you know, I'm looking. I'm looking right now at the at a galley. It's which means it's not 100 percent accurate. But mm-hmm. I think the last narrative word is at 3:30, um, and then there's God. then there's acknowledgments and bibliographies and stuff like that. Yeah, no, wow. it was an impossible. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. Nearly impossible task. When I sat down to try and figure this out, I mean, it was always kind of an idea I wanted to do mm-hmm. this book. Mm-hmm. It was kind of always rattling around in my head. And when I realized it was time to get to work, I sat down to plan it out and the enormity of what I was trying to do hit me over the head every few seconds and it, it took a, a lot of planning a lot of carving a lot of a lot of focus on how how do we get this all in there and one of the reasons I'm telling my personal story in here mm-hmm. is because it is impossible to tell everybody's story everybody has had a unique experience with Harry Potter everybody has touched uh, connected with it for different reasons and it's it's really impossible to tell everyone's so you tell one you get to the universal by by going specific and because i've had the extreme good fortune of being in many cases in person to mm-hmm. many of the the major events that have happened over these years my story was was an easy fit with mm-hmm. you know with all that and i've gone through a very specific growth period so i kind of kind of were able was able to cover how a fan has connected with this series through my story, whether that's accurate for you or inaccurate for you, hopefully it will be the touchstone and you can you can recognize yourself in there somewhere, if only to gen- tangentially, you know? The other thing was to go through the actual what's happened yeah. and to, to, to break it up. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's basically <laughs> broken up by subject. So okay. the overarching storyline is from when the book is announced until when the book is released. And it's been my experience that in that time – Certain things always happen. Certain things, like for instance, getting the spoiler war will always happen. The yeah. the crazy bets on on characters living or dying happens. That the hype follows kind of a cycle. So I used those benchmarks to dip backwards and tell the story. Some conversations about shipping came up. Okay, let's go talk about the shipping wars from mm-hmm. 
2000, you know, from 2003. Sue, you got spoiled in the back of a Borders yes. in New York. Yes. <laughs> so that was a perfect place to stop and <sighs> go back and tell why what happened with spoilers over the years, why spoilers have been an integral part, you know, like that. Mm. Somehow it all <laughs> it all worked out or at least I I hope it did. It, it did. And I should, just for sake of honesty, I've read most of the book, not all of it, but most mm -hmm. of it. And it's really, really quite good. Now, one thing I do want to be really, I'll just be very candid about this. This book is not just Melissa's personal background, but there is a great deal of history for, although she said this is about for, for her own personal history, I think it really is for all of us. There's an extraordinary amount of of detail that goes back from like from where you first started as a fan, like you you came from like Rent and did other online activities right before you mm -hmm. came to Leaky, and yeah. then kind of became a reporter on Leaky. Is that right? Hello? Yeah, I was. I was um, actually Rent was kind of a couple of years behind me. I was used to be a big fan of Rent, but the the way that you talk about Rent as a fandom doesn't even come close to the way that you talk about Harry Potter as a fandom. Similarly, mm -hmm. the way that you talk about Star Wars and X Files at the time, which were the, right. the you know the young online fandoms, Harry Potter was the the one to really exploit the opportunities available to people online. And it was the one, it was the first one whose audience came almost completely to the online world and grew there. So I, I kind of came into that. I was out of, out of college and bored and um, mm -hmm. went back to the books and they connected with me at a very specific time, specifically 9-11. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it very moving. First, yeah. It was in the first couple of months. Oh, thank you. It was in the first couple of months that I was, really heavily involved in Harry Potter was the um, 9-11. And it, it, there was, to explain why it's important, why it's not just a, you know, throw 9-11 into your book. And mm -hmm. that's, that's never the intention, but it was impossible to reach anybody. I was alone in my house and it was impossible to reach anybody that day. All the phone lines were dead. I didn't know where my sister was. I barely heard from my mother. I, my father was MIA. My sister worked very close to the towers. And the only thing that worked that day was the internet. And the and, and yeah. the the Harry Potter community that I was in kept me sane. They kept me calm, and they kept me doing something that day. And they connected me so closely to that. So that that that's where that comes from. I'm sorry, I don't even know if I've answered your question right now. No, no, it's good because I want. I'm, I'm hoping that people understand that when you come, this is this kind of your story that comes into and it shows how you gets into the fandom. I don't. Th I think a lot of people say, "Oh, Melissa's this big, huge webmistress," but it wasn't something that just came by accident. It was just something you know, or you just overnight suddenly she's this great mistress of this great huge website, and and now she's writing this book. And it was just, it took a long time to get to this point, and then you know, in personal situations, looks like that nine eleven, which was so extraordinary for so many people and then here's melissa's you know how she she got into and for many people the, the being the online being in the internet was their connection and so from there you go on and you talk about um joining leaky i think for people will be hopeful that we are going to get a little bit of background on leaky a little mm -hmm. bit about some of the history you talk about bk and yeah. and uh, some other people and and, and the fan but it is all about all these different facets you do talk about like the spoilers you talk about fan fiction you do talk about these extraordinary things that happen and but what it was amazing to me yeah you were there right doing all this stuff too i mean <laughs> it's just i don't you know you could try and go back uh it's amazing um can you talk a little bit about how you decided to put that part of the history and tie that into our, our and connect it as to how 
um, the Harry Potter fandom actually just kind of exploded online too about the same time you kind of got into it. I mean, it, it's funny. Right when I got into it, I, I think I came in just under the wire. The Harry Potter fandom was was building online certainly from 1997 through 2000. Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of a slow boil. Yeah, and I came into it late 2000. I really liked this site called the Leaky Cauldron. They were the only people treating it like like a reporter would Mm -hmm. and as a would-be reporter i didn't have the reporter job but i certainly did reporting in in college i it was very attractive to me so i checked them constantly and finally and i just kept pelting them with news finally i got i got an exclusive for them and they said why don't you you know work for us (laughs) you know and that that's how that's how that happened and then it literally from there because we were right in the beginning of this wait did I say 2000? I'm sorry. It was 2001, obviously. Right mm-hmm. in the, we were in the middle of this wait for book five. And mm-hmm. that three-year summer, that three-year-long wait for that book really set in hard cement the, the online fandom because it was all we had. We, you read fan fiction because you want more Harry Potter and you didn't have it, so you'd read more fan fiction. Right. Um, you'd, you know, you'd go to these websites to try and find out when the book was coming out. You, you know, it was, it was um, so important. So I think I came in right under the wire there and I was very lucky to be on the site that helped that helped at least push mm-hmm. the barriers outwards for fans and help helped get us get us front and center for that right. stuff not just watching as other people reported on it you know right exactly and and Warner Brothers was one of the studios that was not quite in the foremost forefront of leading um having access to the extent that they do now no. with fans the site visits and stuff and in fact I think Leaky is one of the first ones to go to 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 a site visit right that and you've got to do that with like Prisoner of Azkaban or? Yeah, I mean, I wrote, the first thing I ever wrote about Harry Potter was a scathing article in my in my college newspaper about about Potter War because oh, at, yeah. in 2001, early 2001, Warner Brothers was was cracking down on websites with, with right. the name Harry Potter in it. It's sort of, if you talk to anybody at Warner Brothers about it this day, they sort of, they're sort of still ashamed of it. They, they, they kind of shake their heads like, oh, that, that stunk for us. You know, like they recognize right. that they made a huge mistake early out, which is that they didn't have their lawyer's reword their letters because the letters saying you're using our property were going to 13 year olds and they didn't realize this and so a 13 year old gets a letter saying you are infringing on our online property and if you don't you know submit your whatever in in that language in that polysyllabic tone and it freaked these little kids out you know and then there was an online movement so almost a year later i was just starting to work on leaky and warner brothers was having a more open stance in general, but still didn't have any fans kind of involved. And I got really annoyed at seeing only, you know, Katie Couric or only whoever right. the, the big mainstream media people were at the time report on Potter. So I started emailing them and calling them, emailing them, calling, emailing yeah. them, calling them, saying, okay, somebody's got to answer. And finally they did. And they were really off the bat gracious. And they, Leaky was the first and only people to report at the Chamber of Secrets junket from fans. Cha- yeah, it's and, the Chamber of Secrets. Yes. Yeah. And also the Prisoner of Azkaban set. And then the next mm-hmm. year, things just exploded they just I, th- I feel like i was like a test case you know yeah. I feel like leaky was a little bit of a t- like whoa they're the fans are okay they're not they're not you know crazy they're gonna be nice they're gonna be mm-hmm. respectful and then all of a sudden there were a lot of a lot of sites and it was happening at the same time with lord of the rings and uh, right. and such studios were starting to kind of get under why it was important to include the fans and i think we um were able to ride that wave a bit Absolutely. And it is so important now. Um, I, I got to go to a premiere with Melissa um, <laughs> last year at the Order of Things. It was just extraordinary. And to me, what is extraordinary to me, because I've been to premieres before when working in the mainstream press, was to see the extraordinary amount of fan sites that were there, non-traditional media were, or, you know, or sites were there, given the same 
red carpet, same access. And I think it's because the efforts of, 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 you know, people like what you were doing, Melissa, like you mentioned the other, like the Lord of the Rings and, and, you know, Star Wars to some extent. And, and the, yeah, I guess Star Wars, maybe. Yeah, with the, coming. with the prequel yeah. movies at the time yeah. coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, it's just so important. So these are the things that you're going to find in this book. And, and I don't, you know, I mean, she does detail that, but what uh, is also concurrent was going on was the things that were happening within our fandom as well. Like you mm. do talk about the spoilers. And, oh, yeah. you know, now that we have the fabulous Internet, it's a free for all. OK, you know, and, yeah. and, and you want to talk a little bit about how leaky and the, the, the things you had to confront as working on leaky would, to try and not have it spoiled for everybody. I mean, just... you know, what was so funny about the spoiling thing is that we, we we just acted as fans would in that moment. Whereas as soon as we found out that low level spoilers were kind of appearing on the Internet, we just wanted to stop it. Just stop it. No, don't. Mm -hmm. Mostly from a totally selfish point of view. You as the news poster don't want to open your email and and get spoiled. So you want it to stop and you want to do whatever you can. So right, literally, right after we started feeling comfortable with Warner Brothers around 2003, went between January of 2003 and June of 2003, we started acting as kind of filters for uh, the Scholastic and Bloomsbury, whereas we we would get something in, we're kind of the the net, you know. If it if it's gonna if it's anywhere on the net on on the internet or or around, we're gonna mm-hmm. get an email saying it. So it's kind of the catch all. So then we were able to shuffle all that right off to Bloomsbury and Scholastic, who were able to do whatever lawyer activities they do, you know, mm-hmm. over there. And there have been many. They sort of act sometimes <laughs> yes. as 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 PIs <laughs> trying <laughs> to find out where where these spoilers are coming from. And then that continued. And I, d- I didn't realize it was such a big deal until I went to the Royal Albert Hall event when, when J.K. Rowling read after book five came out. And I didn't know it was it meant so much to the publishing companies until the, the woman who, who was the head of publicity now for Scholastic, Chris Moran, came over to me and said, and called us the on-the-ground spoiler team. And everybody was like, oh my God, it's leaking. Well. You guys helped us so much, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I hadn't realized, you know, and it was, it created this really great relationship with the public publishing houses and the fan sites because it, it's unlike mainstream media who are looking to sell the papers and get people to watch their stuff we don't care we'll give up the hits we don't want to we don't care about having eight million people read that the professor of defense against the dark arts name is umbridge you know right right we, we yeah would just rather not so yeah it created a really great working relationship but you know you know how so much stuff happened with the spoiling we had the guy who the the gunfight there was a gunfight over yes the fake gun and and with our friends from the tabloids yeah. that we read in the sun is just i mean the guy he tried to sell copyright or uh, an yeah. early copy of it and he had like a fake gun and yeah, he had blanks blanks and just i mean it was just uh, who in your wildest dreams would ever think that, that people would go to such lengths over a book? Yeah, and you that, know, yeah, it's it's that that's the point of the spoiling thing is that there you you never you would never think that over a book there would be a, a shootout. It, it was blanks, thank God. But the but guy, the, the reporter, had been to the Middle East, had been to other war torn areas, and he remember, <laughs> he said he remembered thinking. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die because of Harry Potter. You know, like <laughs> what? You know, so stuff like that. And that that's that's been the story of Harry Potter all along. People mm-hmm. doing things they shouldn't. People mm-hmm. people acting in ways they don't usually act. A book having a re- a reaction on people that it really shouldn't have. Right. You know, people getting excited over things they don't usually get excited about. That's been the story of Harry Potter has been completely not just defying but destroying expectations over the years oh but you know but so marvelous so about because we are so unique i think our fandom is so unique in the sense that we're both 
two track now. We're both just the books and films. And I, I just find that really extraordinary when you're talking about the spoiling. But I think to most of us, the, the basis has been the books, the love of the books and, and the, and the you know, I mean, like you said, we want to keep it secret, keep it safe. I didn't want to know about Umbridge before too much. Although, though there was an incident, though, I really do want to ask you about was mm-hmm. a, a series of words on a card because yeah. it's another facet of our amazing fandom <laughs> has to do can you talk a little about some 93 words yeah in 2003 no i'm sorry in 2002 jk rowling late 2002 put out a card she gave it to sotheby's and it said it had 93 words from the fifth book now it didn't this wasn't any book it had been two and a half years since book four and we were just at the end of our rope we didn't as fans we didn't know yeah, what yeah. and what we didn't know when that book was coming and anticipation had reached such a fever pitch that as soon as we heard about this the fans were so up in arms they wanted that they wanted that card they needed that card and i was on the phone with one of our former editors heidi and she said oh wouldn't it be great if people could just send us money and we could buy the card and i said yeah oh, that would be great whatever and I, and I hung up i had just gotten into work and i hung up and literally my hand hit the floor hit the phone and hadn't released the receiver, and I just called her back. I said, well, what if, what if they could? And the plan emerged. We would incorporate as a nonprofit. We would solicit donations, collect donations, and bid. We'd be one of the bidders. Well, what happened is that people, first of all, people responded the way Harry Potter fans responded. In two weeks, we had $24,000 in our bank account. It was, people were, kids were sending us their allowances taped in quarters and dimes on the back of index cards mm-hmm. because we were pledging all the money to, to literacy, no matter win or lose, that money was going to Book Aid International. We lost the card. We didn't get the card. However, yeah. Book Aid got about six times the donation they were expecting because we raised we raised the public profile of this auction so high because there was so much media mm-hmm. that the donation that they got from the person who won was like $40,000 as opposed to they were expecting 7000 And then our donation on top of it meant they meant just a huge windfall for this young literacy charity. So it was great. I mean, it was just great. It was one of these wonderful moments of community in, in, in Harry Potter that come along. You know, the Harry Potter community, it, it's always like this. It's always great in giving, but there are certain moments along the yeah. way yeah. That, that, I mean, that was a huge one. Oh, it was extraordinary. And, and that's one thing, though, I think is reflective about our, our community is that there is so much charity. There is so much giving. I mean, there's extraordinary. I mean, whether it's be for, for the certain actors, I mean, they do stuff. And, and Leaky has continued on to do charity things, too, which is really amazing. Very something to be really proud of. But everybody does it, too. I mean, it's just and I, and you talk about this in, in, in the book, too. I mean, it's not just all oh, well, so and so. You know, the, we got the book announcement on this day, but we also talk, you talk about these, these things in charity. Drums. Can we just talk about what we were just laughing at? We're talking about musical cats. Can, can, yeah, can we explain <laughs> oh, this? Because I want the, everybody the, to the, witness the John's cruelty. Well, this is a, an, an up-and-coming band for all of you uh, Riz Rock and uh, Wiz Hop fans. <laughs> Crooks in the Shanks is dropping her first uh, like album, this. or her first new single, actually. Um, Crooks in the Shanks is a, a one-cat band starring Mooshka. <laughs> With a microphone strapped to her back um, for a few hours, that's true. Capturing that's true. Uh, all hundred times she hisses and scratches at random people and uh, flicks of dust, and so uh, we're going to sample all of that into uh, a uh, perhaps a Christmas uh, song, mm-hmm. or perhaps a love, a love song. Or maybe like a breakup song. You're gonna wake up with Muchka like loving and hating. Yeah, she seems to have more, you know, that angry, angsty kind of uh, emotion (laughs) happening there. 
So check uh, make sure check your local listings and your favorite blogs to hear about uh, when that happens. <laughs> and so so let's just talk about cats. I'm gonna, John, I mean, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna secretly line all your food with tuna, all your clothes with tuna. Oh no! <laughs> so that she just yeah rears back and goes for you every time. Actually, she like loves you if I did that. Cheaper by the dozen. Takes a dad's underwear and puts it in meat, so that so the dog uh, tries to bite him in the butt. <laughs> it's terrible. It is, I must say, the funniest thing in the world. We just be standing there quietly talking or do, going about our business. We're in Melissa's apartment, and the cat will just walk by and just turn and just hiss at you for no reason. Well, poor, poor Frankie had to go to the pharmacy and get scar cream <laughs> no, after didn't. he visited New York just to try and remove all the scrapes he had. Right. No. She did turn on me, though, because at first she was very docile and nice to me and or apprehensive, and then I got a little too zealous and tried to pick her up and yeah. hug her, and she... That was kind of Frankie's fault. I felt bad. That's like... Well, it was my fault, because yeah, I overestimated yeah. the relationship. That's like when you when you, when you meet, you meet a girl or whatever, a guy or whatever, and you confront exactly. a girl. You go, you go, and you have one date, then they go home, and then you show up at their house with all your stuff and try to move in. That's that's the equivalent right there for Mushka. <laughs> that's well, a little, her world. Pick her up. Yes. You got to be close. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That way. She I'll give you that. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that mean? John, stop! Oh my. I do, and I don't get that. Glad you don't. Um, so, uh, the other part, though, was we were talking about music and, and holiday time, and then Frankie was. You're gonna out me? <laughs> yes, I am. I said I used. <laughs> I actually owned that old. It was like Jingle Cats or something like that. I forget what it was, but it was a whole Christmas album it? of cats meowing Christmas songs. It was like. Wait, it's more than just it's a one whole song? album of whole Christmas album? Of songs of <laughs> no. cats, and all it is is meowing. Is four cats? And I listened to it on a regular <laughs> basis when I was younger because I loved it. <laughs> is it four cats? It's for or people. Is it for weird people. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched a documentary on how they made it. <laughs> And the, the family yeah. just had recording devices around the house, and they recorded all the cat meows, and they just edited it together and made like, <laughs> like Silent Night, and oh, uh, that's brilliant. What they, did they train? No, they just record. They just recorded just like- the meows. So a lot of them, the meows are repeated. Let's see what. What I'm picturing is like about twelve cats lined up, like kind of roped down to like and they just pinch microphones. Them. And somebody pulling on the tails at certain points, and each cat is responsible for one note. See, that would be good. The funny thing is, is that probably to a cat, it probably would sound ridiculous because they're probably saying all kinds of different words that don't make any sense. Like, it's like cat soap, rug dog, TV cat soap. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. You are completely What's a delirious. Rug dog you cat know that, so I know you are. Well, just you know, cat language is probably all doesn't it's all not coherent because humans don't understand what the. Right, let's, I'll meant. give you that. Okay. So that'd be just irritating. Yes, it would be very disrespectful towards oh, you. Oh my god! We didn't make your cat oh. listen to it. You no. Know. <laughs> what are Most we talking about? Strangely quiet. <laughs> I don't know if it's strangely quiet to a normal podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's just familiarly quiet. Good point. 
good point. I'm just trying to figure out what note Mooch would make. John. Tell long enough. If it'd be like a high C or maybe well, a. That is me. I don't know what you're trying to come for that comment. Leave my baby alone. Leave my alone. Alright. You're just me, 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 me. Hey, Melissa, let's talk about something positive. How did your walk go? Your walk for the. Oh my god. Okay. I did this Avon breast cancer walk where all these fabulous women from all over the, the, I guess, area come in, and um, there were 4,500 women. We raised $11 million. My team alone raised $32,000. Doing in, in great part to the help from from podcast listeners, um, the April Foundation gives out grants to to breast care re- breast cancer research. They give help to victims. They they help in prevention. They help people get mammograms. It's really a wonderful, wonderful foundation. But it is twenty six point two miles one day and thirteen miles the next. And if you think that I did all of that, you are out of your ever loving mind. <laughs> oh, but you didn't do it. Oh my god. No, I did. I mean, you get there and you think, yeah, whatever, 26 miles. You start on 44th Street in the west side and you go up to the 130th Street and you go back all the way down to the bottom over the Brooklyn <laughs> Bridge, back, and then up on to the east side over to Randall's Island, which is like an old past country. Well, by the time you're on the fifth mile, you're thinking, okay, you know, I'm a little, little pain. It's all right. You get to 10 and you want to die. And you're walking at like a normal, you know, two and a half miles an hour kind of thing. Very... Not, nobody's running, you know? Well, the first day I did 16 miles. Um, I went over the Brooklyn Bridge and then got a cab. <laughs> I went home. <laughs> I'm sorry. I walked down from I, my sister, too. My sister was like I'm very athletic. My whole team, my sister and I lasted the longest of our entire team. And then and then we, we both, I mean, I got home. Everything's cramping. I just laid on my bed with my feet, with pillows under my, under my feet. And I went under my legs so that I... You know, to get some elevation and someone <laughs> yeah. to sleep. And we got, we went out there. There was a 13 mile walk the next day. We did like, I don't know, five miles. And then we got there pretty early and, <laughs> and met them at a certain checkpoint and then just walked walk to the end. So I did, I mean, I did about half of it ish. And um, I'm really, it's much more than, <laughs> than yeah. the rest of our team did. And it's, I, it's similar to what a lot of people there I heard did. And it was really, a really uplifting event. Thank you, anybody who donated. We're going to train for next year and actually try and do the whole thing. <laughs> oh my god, it was hard. Yeah. I, <laughs> I thought that I would make it to the first day. Mm-mm, no. I didn't know that you cheated. I didn't realize this. You didn't know what? She did. I didn't realize you cheated. I yes, thought you 40, That's a lot of walking. I personally raised over $2,000 for breast cancer and walked about 20 miles. I'm a cheat. These boots are made for uh, walking. That's right. Well, let's see. What you should have done is what I suggested earlier is you bring Muchka. No. And maybe instead of pulling her in a plastic ball, she could have pulled you like a, like rollerblades or something. You know, you should have walked ahead of us, and then I would have brought Muchka, and then I would have been flying through the whole thing. She'd be running You're up right. you the whole time. All right. I want to see you do it, Don, next year. Forty miles, two days. Maybe by next year I'll actually be in shape. You know what was so nice about it is you got a real you got a real walk through New York City and you live here and you don't you don't realize what you yeah. do. Aww. And you know what? As we're sitting here right now recording, so I just got a donation. That's awesome. That's so funny. That's awesome. Done. Cool. Fifty dollars of the done. And I know I was gonna have the donors um, ready for this week. I'm actually gonna do it next week just because I've had a change of plans recording and I'm not in my house right now so um 
No, what's wonderful is that never can you walk through walk through New York or wherever you are, and you you get it's so well run that they have volunteers every maybe half a mile cheering you on. So you greet like conquering heroes throughout the entire city, and not only the people involved in the walk who are going, yeah, you guys are great. And they're applauding as you go. People are stopping in their cars and honking. People are coming out of their apartment buildings and waving at you and clapping and saying congratulations and keep going. You're doing great. You know, it's it's amazing. I've never seen New York in such a in a, in a rosier light. And I say that in a little bit of an arch way because of the paint. You know, yeah. but oh, it was wonderful. It was a really I can't wait to do it again. Awesome! Yay! Awesome! I love it. Um, I have pictures. I have. I'll put pictures on Facebook. Yeah, do. Put them up. What were you going to say, Suze? The Witches Who Rock. Someone emailed me. And I, that is going to come out on iTunes, right? The, the For breast cancer research? Um, yes, yes. The, the, there's a, the, the wonderful group of Wizard Rockers have come, come together to create an album called Witches Who Rock, W-R-S-K. And we'll have more information on that as soon as it comes out. It's being processed. It'll be on iTunes eventually, soon, I guess. And... Um, and yeah, and yeah, so it's not out yet, but hold on, and we'll, we'll make an announcement on LinkedIn and we'll, you know, we'll play it on podcast better. And speaking of charity albums, those of you who um, who liked last year's Jingle Spells should hang on tight. Uh oh, what does that mean? Uh-oh. I don't know what. Dun, dun, Squeak. That, that remains our Oops. <laughs> number one fundraiser ever. I'll make you. Our number one what? That was so cool. I was so proud to be a part of that too. I would tell people all about it. Your, your artwork it was amazing. Like it wasn't that long ago, but it's almost time for Christmas. Again. I know. Yes. That's insane. All right. What else is happening this year? Well, it, you know, Halloween's coming up, so I'm working on my my costume this year. I'm trying to decide. Who are you be? Well, I, it's, I'm just torn between Batgirl. And Glinda the Good Good Witch from Wiz- Wicked Witches, you know. I think you should do Batgirl because there's a version of Batgirl costume that's black and yellow only. And that's she, like Hufflepuff and no Batgirl. Way. I know, see? And she's so cool. She was like, you know, because I'm so non-heroic and brave in anything at all. And so I just thought, oh, it'll be, be fun, be cool. I love Batman. But then Glinda is my, like, I love her. So <laughs> kind of a natural fit there. I don't know. So that's my plan. John, what about you? What are you going to be for Halloween? I'm still going to be Mr. Hammerman. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Mr. Hammerman? I'm rocking and rolling that costume. That's going to be hot. Oh, I can't wait. I've got this huge hammer head made out of cardboard and tinfoil. And I've got um, black pants for, like, the handle. And then I've got a silver shirt for the body of the hammer. Ay, ay, ay. It's going to be amazing. Are you going to play, like, a, carry a little boombox with you and, and, and play a little song? It's Hammer time. time. Uh-oh. Well, I'm not, oh, oh, I'm not oh, MC oh, oh. Hammer, but no. I might try to get into arguments with people. No, it'd just be fun, you know, to add to this festive occasion. I don't know. That could be fun, though. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. See, see I, I suggested you wear MC Hammer pants with it, but you were opposed to that, so you don't like well, this whole... Well, it's, it's kind of taking a creative uh, um, um, departure from my uh, original actual hammer. Mm, I see. You hit to compromise uh, your, your artistic message. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so we say congratulations yeah. to you too, John, about something going on. Some good news. I did have my sister had a little baby boy named Jack. Aww. And I'm, I'm in Ohio right now because I went to see him. Aww. He's super cute. And um, 
uh, I love them very much, and uh, I don't know if they'll be listening because they're very, very busy taking care of the baby and my other nephew, Charlie, yeah. who's two now, is also super cute. But maybe I'll get a bit of a picture on podcast.com. That's very do it, cute. How oh, cute. Yeah. Anything else going on, boys and guys? That's it, guys. I think games? it's time that we got out of here. Okay. It's about that time. Well, about well, I that guess time. Uh, until until next time, uh, keep twiddling those dials. The next password will be Jack. Yay! Yay! Keep each other safe. Good, Good night. night. Yeah, we've missed it. Dobby free. I confess myself disappointed. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Great, Scott. No wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Spooky how the time flies when one's having fun. <laughs> this week's Pottercast was produced by the Pottercast Trio and Steve Bonnet. Thanks to our Scooby 5 team, Aaron and Nina, and thanks, as always, to our awesome transcription elves for transcribing this and all our other episodes on Pottercast.com. For more information about the show and how to contact us and be a part of future episodes, visit Pottercast.com.